0: Hey, you're listening to Drawing the Line. I'm Roman McCutcheon. And I'm Brad Reeves. And today, we're going to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement.
1: This is going to be a tough one for a couple of white guys, but we're going to try our best. Let's get started.
0: Okay, episode two. We're in it, Brad. We have made it to the second episode of our podcast.
1: And we've increased the risk significantly by having two cups of water <laughs> next to all this equipment.
0: Yes, yes. I, and I've already spilled a little bit. So this it was is sketchy be a when fun you came ride. to sit
1: down. There's a little bit of a splash. Ooh.
0: I want to get out of the way um, a couple facts. One is that we are both white males, and we can't get around that, right? Like, that's just who we are. And so. We have a perspective that some people I don't know may think doesn't matter, right? I think that, um, and for some people, they feel very justified in that. Though I do think that we're not trying to come to this. We're not trying to come to this conversation with the idea that we have answers, but but more, we just want to find find God and and where He really thinks that we should be in all of this, right? Does that does that make sense, Brad? Yeah, I mean, I think.
1: As much as we would like to uh, imagine, you know, just kind of pulling back for a second, as much as we would like uh, to to empathize and imagine what it would be like. Um, to live somebody else's life, particularly somebody with a different background, somebody with a different ethnicity, skin color, even mm-hmm. raised with a different religion, yeah. you know, w- we can't do that. I-, I don't know, and you don't know exactly what it's like uh, to live as an African American man or woman in 2020 and right. to live in what, I mean, we're both experiencing this, but I think that's, you know, a huge, I mean, I'm, like I said before, I'm a lawyer, so I do disclaimers. I think that's a huge disclaimer, right? Right. We sort of humbly put out there that uh, we don't know what that's like. I mean, shoot, I think about I've been um, you know I've been married, as I mentioned last time, for 20 years, and I think I know my wife pretty well. I have no idea what it's like, uh, you know, to be a woman (laughs) to be, to be, to be my wife. Um, you know, I can empathize with, if I don't try to empathize with her, that that's, that's not a good thing. I need to try to know how things, how she experiences things. But yeah, I think, you know, we're going to try the best we can to have some perspective today and to humbly acknowledge our limitations, um, in our perspective, but yeah, hopefully engage in this and see, you know, maybe think about, uh, Looking at this from a spiritual perspective,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that, that's the whole purpose of the podcast is we're drawing lines, right, or we're erasing lines, or we're moving lines, and this is a difficult one for us to really get into. However, one, however, it's it's a line that I think needs to be discussed, and and is uh, as as fair or unfair as it may be to say this. It's it's not seemingly discussed in church that often and and I mean and, and I can see why I mean you're not necessarily making an attempt to cause controversy and it's a topic that can easily do that right however that doesn't mean that it needs to be ignored and and, and I think that it is um, and has been and I, and I don't think we need to be okay with that um and and so this is an attempt to I'm not saying that God isn't there already but 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 really try to find a, a Christian perspective that that maybe people, haven't considered maybe haven't really looked into but it's it's at the end of the day it's two guys that aren't perfect that are trying to do their best and at, at, at just you know showing god and hopefully, hopefully we do that, right? Like, hopefully that's that's what we can do today.
1: And it's episode two, so uh, we didn't want to go with a softball right up front, right? So,
0: right, no, absolutely. If you're gonna, <laughs> if you're gonna do it. Dive all the way in. <laughs> dive all the way in, man. Right. And so, all right. So you are a lawyer right. or a lawyer. I don't. I say lawyer. <laughs> Some people say my wife says lawyer. She's wrong. Uh-huh. She is, still doesn't have a Gmail account, so. That we didn't fix that from episode (laughs) one either. So you are a lawyer. And recently, um, the results from the Breonna Taylor case came out yesterday, actually. And so there are questions that I think people may have. And since you're a lawyer and and can explain it way better than I can, um, because I'm not a lawyer, (laughs) um, uh, I guess first first question is, okay... Um, how does a grand jury work? And do we know who these, who do we know? Can we find out who those people are? Can we not find out who those people are? Um, maybe explain how kind of that, that case would have gone down with a grand jury.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess I probably, uh, know a little more than you or a little more than most, but I'm not a, I'm not a criminal defense attorney Sure, having played one on television, <laughs> but I do know a little bit about the, the criminal justice system. Um, for one reason, I uh, before and during law school, I worked at the uh, Virginia State Crime Commission on, uh, mm. on criminal legislation um, and, you know, have studied constitutional criminal procedure and things like that. So I think big picture here, if we're kind of looking at the Breonna Taylor case and, you know, as maybe a springboard to get into talking about uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, sure, um, you know, the... The decision yesterday of the grand jury, which a grand jury is, is not unlike um, a, a jury in a trial, in a civil trial or a criminal trial, it's, mm-hmm. it's just people, um, they're just citizens that are, right. that are randomly brought together, although different from a public trial where a jury where people would, you could come and you could watch the trial. and and you would see the jury members, the grand jury is not a public process. It is a a private and quite frankly secretive process where the prosecutor um, in this case it was the attorney general the special prosecutor comes and, and lays evidence before the grand jury and, and lays out you know here are all the sort of the potential criminal charges that you could bring and then it's the grand jury that actually votes and decides and those there's no transcript of those proceedings I guess you could come out of the grand jury and you could decide to just like after a criminal trial you can come out and talk to the media you can tell people you were part of the grand jury um but typically it's a secretive process and you would not otherwise know who was part of that Mm -hmm. they try to keep that secret uh you know for i guess important reasons um and through that process yesterday um you know they they decided the two officers who actually uh who shot and and their their bullets uh you know I think at least six shots, five or six shots went into, uh, yeah, Ms. Taylor. And she passed away from that. Um, they were not charged at all, hmm. um, in connection with that. And it was only a third officer who was charged with, uh, um, essentially negligent conduct, wanton, uh, reckless conduct, who shot through a window that, uh, it was like a patio window that had blinds behind it. And I think those, uh, those bullets sprayed into another apartment where there was a pregnant woman and a five-year-old and right, another yeah. family, and so they were endangered. That was the one who had already been, um, uh, you know, terminated from the police department, and the, and he's facing, I think, three counts of five years each, so he could, you know, be facing up to 15 years in prison. But I think that, um, you know, the the big takeaway as to what happened and why, you know, there was unrest last night um, in in Louisville is because there were no charges related to her death right there were no charges uh brought against the two officers related to her death there i I will mention you know last week there was a 12 million dollar civil settlement right where the city acknowledged that that they caused her death Mm. and that it was it was um you know it violated the duty there was a acknowledgement of that um but obviously the the family and not not just the family but i think you know, from the protests and and from what you're hearing from the family's attorneys, that people across the country uh, saw that and and you know and thought that there should be some at least some criminal charges in addition to that that twelve million dollar civil payment.
0: Well, it seems like if you're going to willingly admit that hey we messed up and and in saying that you you give someone twelve million dollars that there should be more than just hey we messed up now. I, I, yet again, not an expert in the law. Um, yeah. I lived in Kentucky. I know several people that live in the Louisville area, and um, I know that after hearing the results, that um, there's been there's been riots and protesting, and two two at this point, two police officers have been shot. Right. And um, and and you know, I, I a part of me understands, or not not I mean, understands is maybe the wrong word. A part of me gets it i think a part of me is like you're frustrated you're angry i mean it's seemingly we've like there's already been and we we get it we messed up but then the other side of that is well but basically nothing is no one is going to really be charged for what had happened um i don't i what i don't understand is the one endangerment right that is um i don't can you can you explain the the technical lingo for that? Um, and then I have another, I have another question about. So it was, it was. For the the three family members in the other apartment, but not Brianna Taylor and her boyfriend. How does that work?
1: Yeah, I mean, what they really focused on was that was this one police officer who discharged his weapon. There's apparently a, a policy within the police department that you're you're not supposed to do that unless you have a clear line of sight and you know what you're shooting at. Sure, you so know, shooting through a, a window when there's blinds, you don't know. Who, who you might be shooting at? Um, the reason why they did not bring uh, charges against the other two officers, from from what I've read, everything I've read, is because the grand jury determined from the evidence they received um, that uh, that uh, Ms. Taylor's boyfriend, who was the the uh, the target of this the search warrant, right, right, that the evidence showed that they saw showed that he shot first mm-hmm. and shot through the door and hit the police officers. And so what they were doing was responding to that. That's the way that was framed. And, and because of that, um, they, you know, the grand jury was focused on, uh, or the grand jury determined that there wasn't any culpability on them, even though it ended with, you know, Brianna Taylor who didn't have a gun, who didn't shoot, but who was standing there according to their evidence in the hallway next to him, Um, you know, in the middle of the night uh, that, you know, of course she died. um, But they said that, well, these police officers were just returning, were just returning fire from him. So, you know, I I do think that, you know, you can get sort of each one of these situations, you can sort of take it under a, a microscope. You know, I think about, Think about George Floyd and how people, uh, I think about social media and on the internet that you, you know people would try to take a situation and you, tr- you try to, that's one way to deal with it is to tor- sort of treat it like it's ninth grade biology, like one right. of my kids are in and you're like dissecting a frog. But the fact of the matter is, is that all these things happen in a much larger context. They don't happen in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Like, 2020 America, there is, there's something in the air right now. Yeah. Right. And that's what I want to make sure, you know, we get to and talk about because there's certainly a way that African Americans feel, it's not just African Americans. There's, there's, there's a, there's a way that we feel about the police. There's a way that we feel about police interaction with African Americans and people of color. There's a way that we feel about that. Um, and so any of these situations, they can't just be reduced to their specific facts, although in a court, that's obviously what and in a grand jury or in a trial, that's exactly what you're you're trying to do to get justice. You're trying to just focus on the situation. But there I just wanna again, as we're acknowledging, there is something societally much bigger than this situation that this is Putting its thumb on that pressure point,
0: right? And and I, I think one of the things I probably should have started off with is that can we just go ahead and draw the line or draw a line that racism is wrong? Like racism is not; it is a sin all the time. It's never okay, like at, at any point. And and I, and what we're and what we're saying when
1: we say that, I think as a starting point, you know, just to kind of define our terms there. I, and, and tell me if you agree with sure, me on sure, this, sure. is that when we view people um, that are made in the image of God...
0: All right, that's exactly what I was going to say. If, Go if, yeah,
1: yeah. if they are made, you know, just back to Genesis 1, yeah. if they the very beginning, if they are made in the image of God by virtue of the fact... That they that they look different than us, and they sound different than us. That we have different skin tones. That we, I don't care what the distinction is. They are still made in the image of God. And any teaching, doctrine, theology that would tell you that somehow they are worth less to God, that they should be, uh, you know, worth less to us, or that they should be treated uh, with less value, um, th- that that's at least a, I think a starting point for racism.
0: Right. No, absolutely. And, and, um, I listen to a lot of different podcasts and one of one podcast that I, that I listened to from the gospel coalition had Christian, uh, I think is his last name. And he's a great guy. If you haven't listened to him, check him out. I mean, he deals with, with some other things that are separate from, um, you know, prejudice and, 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 and racism. However, um, one of the things that he really focuses on is being an image bearer of God and that we, we, we all have that. And it's something that is special. And, but it's special in its own right, but it's also something that we all uniquely have. And it's important because that's where you can find value, um, in yourself, but then also in others. And to, I mean, I don't know, think for a moment, like when's the last time you looked at somebody and really thought, wow, that person is is an image bearer of God. And like, that's, that's pretty incredible. I mean, the idea that within you, Brad, I can see God. Right. And If I can do that with every person, then, you know, prejudice and racism would never exist, right? Like if each person could do that with every other person and really be intentional about that thought, then, you know, that wouldn't exist. Now, that's really easy for me to sit here in front of a microphone and say, um, because, that's not how Pe that's not how everyone thinks
1: well and then what happens that's not how everyone thinks but then you know again going from sort of uh, looking at it under a microscope to in, in a vacuum to putting it in a real world context uh, you know we all are raised into a certain society and yeah. culture and we operate within various institutions including the church yeah. Including schools, including uh, you know a, a democratic uh, republic, a, a capitalist society. There's all these different structures and institutions, and so the the racism or the the uh, you know counting people as or viewing people as having different value or different differing worth to God. That sort of gets baked. That can and does get baked into the fabric of not only our brains, but our institutions as well. Yeah. And I think that is what um, maybe, you know, a, as a way to sort of build a bridge into the Black Lives Matter movement is one of the things that I think at its very best that the movement is, is trying uh, to identify is that there are Um, There are elements within society, within our institutions, within our structures, within our churches, our schools, businesses, et cetera, that where because people have viewed those of of different background, different uh, of different uh, racial background, um, have viewed them of less value, that that has uh, that has created uh, these structures that. Maybe to a lot of people, just look like, hey, this is just how it's always been. Yeah, right. And and then so it's like something. It's like the fish doesn't know it's wet. Right. Right. This right. is just its everyday. Now you get it out of the water, and it knows it's not wet anymore. Mm-hmm. But I think to a certain extent, um, you know, I think the Black Lives Matter movement is trying to bring an awareness to the water that we're all swimming in the wetness that we don't feel
0: right. And, and I would, and, and I would be maybe, maybe so bold as to say that I think that there's a lot more awareness now than there was even at the beginning of the year or, or the beginning of last year. You know, I, I think that, Oh, it's a
1: we're at a moment in history right now. There, there's no question about it. um, that, you know, the, a, a couple of these uh, incidents, building on others, is creating a
0: unique moment of awareness, yeah, for sure. And and I think and I think that that's good, but you know, do I think that the church is acknowledging that movement? And that's, I don't know. Like I honestly don't know. I and when we say the church, let's just
1: even is the predominantly white church. Sure, right, uh, or, yeah. or churches that are predominantly led by white folks, where where leadership is majority white, and we're not saying that these are churches that are just nothing but white people in the in the pews, um, but is it being acknowledged? And I would say, I mean, I haven't been to every church, but right. I would say, you know, it it's being it depends on the church, mm-hmm. um, but it's like you said, it's being acknowledged more than it was last year. I mean, I know that. You know, I've certainly tried in some uh, classes and some Facebook Live adult Bible classes you know, to to say the names of these people, you know, to, mm-hmm. to say Ahmaud Arbery's name, right? Yeah. To say George Floyd's name, to say Breonna Taylor's name, to acknowledge that like, okay, there is something going on. And then what do we have to say about it? What does, how, how would God view this? I know it's always presuming to think how would God view this situation, but, sure. we, but we know, I mean, we know from Matthew chapter five, we know from the Beatitudes that, you know, God's blessing um, his divine favor is with those who mourn. so those people right. who are who are mourning these deaths these these tragedies um, God is with them like there is divine favor upon anybody and everybody who's in mourning
0: about a lot of what we're seeing right and and I also I want to make sure that we're, we're getting, we're looking at different perspectives here because there is the perspective of, um, I cannot believe, you know, what is happening. Um, this is like all of it's bad. Everything is awful. You know, this is terrible. You know, everybody needs to be in mourning or angry or upset. And then there's, there's the, the other perspective that is, um, you know, Hey, all lives matter. Right. Which, yes, there is some truth to that, but that's not that's not the point, I think. And and I also think that. Um, I, well, let's get we can give that some
1: legs. Let's talk sure. about let's let's not sort of set up a paper tiger. I mean, so the the concept is, well, wait a second. You know, if, if we're focusing on if we say Black Lives Matter or if we're if we're if we sign on to this movement that black lives matter, no, wait a second, but, but blue lives matter too. Right. And all lives. Matter. What about the police? Look at what they're doing out there. Look, look at the risks they're taking. They're, they're trying to protect us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't all lives matter. Wait, wait God, God created us all. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, there's, you, you hear that criticism and, and certainly all lives matter. If you go back to what we said just a few minutes ago, about how we are all made in the image of, of God, right? Right, and so that—that's true. You know, we, we, all lives absolutely do matter. And I, I was thinking about this, um, you know, this just getting ready for this podcast, and I thought about, you know, Jesus and who he spent time with. I mean, Jesus, not not at least it's not recorded that he wore a, a shirt that said like, you know prostitutes' lives matter, right. or tax collectors' lives matter, right. or sinners' lives matter. And I'm not equating that. I'm just pointing out that Jesus tended to focus on the people in the society that were being blamed, right. at least by the Jewish elite, sure. by the Jewish leaders. They're being blamed for, well, why, why did God allow us to be taken over by Babylon, by Rome.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's because of all these sinners among us. But yet Jesus identified with them. It wasn't that the Pharisees weren't also image bearers of God or the mm-hmm. Sadducees weren't, um, or even Herod wasn't an image right. bearer of God. Right. Um, so anyway, I started to think about that, about in the scripture, you know, why, why does James tell us that true religion is, is, um, you know, helping widows and orphans? I mean, well, what about, what about the women who are still married? Yeah. What about um, what about children who are not orphaned? What don't their lives matter too? Right. And I think isn't the point? Isn't the point of that? Isn't the point of us taking care of the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the immigrant, that those people are at risk? Right. Those people are uniquely at risk, and I think um, I think it's always our job. Um, you know, as, as followers of Jesus to, to have our, atten- our antenna up to see those who are at risk and then to go in and do sure
0: what we can do. Right. And, and I think that that's why more or less sometimes I think churches exist is to be able to be in a community to help the community. Now, yeah. um, Brad, pretty confident you don't need the church to help you pay your light bill this this week or this month, right? But that doesn't mean that the church doesn't love you and care about you. Right. Though the church is helping, you know, a lady down the street who, you know, is on a welfare check because she's she, she's getting disability. She doesn't make a lot of money and she has she has three kids. She's got to feed and, you know, make sure they get school and all that kind of stuff. Yep. That doesn't mean that the church loves her more than they love you or that you're not worth anything. Right. But that need is there. Your need is somewhere else. Right. But in the moment, that suffering is there and we can help. So why would you not help? Right. Um, You're right. I mean, it's a great point because it doesn't mean that, you know, that
1: I'm more important or she's more important. But the focus needs to be where there is need, where there is hurting. You know, the mm -hmm. the hurting needs to be acknowledged and and the needs, you know, to the extent they can be, need to be met. And I think what we're talking about here is, you know, some of the, the identifying, maybe we can identify the hurt, some of these deep Mm -hmm. hurts, Yeah. but how do we, what do we do as a next step beyond, I think everybody can say acknowledging it. Oh, that's, that's the first step. Or maybe even talking about it more like Mm -hmm. in this podcast, but maybe at churches, maybe at churches that are predominantly white Mm -hmm. talking about this more, but, but what else is there, you know, to be done? What else can we do?
0: Right. And, and that's in all honesty, that was one of the first questions that I asked. Um, actually this guy was in my youth group, my very first youth group ever in South Carolina. And I'm not that much older than him. Um, but at the time I had just graduated high school and he may have been like a freshman or eighth grade or something like that. We're not that far apart. But anyway, one of the questions that I asked him maybe, maybe three or four weeks after, um, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement really kind of became this national thing um, was like, OK, I recognize that things aren't going well or the way that they should be. What do we do to get there? And I th- and, and his response was like, well, that's the question. You know, that's if we had the answer, we'd probably be doing it already. Right. And I mean, like, what are what am I supposed to do? what what i mean I, I i i mean i i feel i mean i do feel this like the sorrow and pain in in the idea that like or in the thought that man i mean like i know that things are happening that shouldn't be happening yeah and there needs and, and the change needs to happen but i don't know what to do to make it change or to make it better and i'm kind of stuck well and let me, let me offer up, um, I think
1: I, I told this story in a, in a Bible class. It, it was related by someone from our church who's an African-American uh, man, a young man, who had applied for a preaching job um, you know, with, with a church and had submitted a resume and you know, had gotten far enough in the process that they invited him and his family out. Uh, to to preach, and this was just happened to be a predominantly white church, mm-hmm. and uh, they were making the arrange the travel arrangements for airfare and and travel. And uh, one of the leaders at this church had asked um, for a picture so that you know throw it up on the PowerPoint so that the church will know how to recognize him. Right. He uh, he sent this picture, and he said less than five minutes from then, the leader reached back out to him and and let him know that you know the the church wasn't ready that he, he couldn't tell from talking to him right. you wow. know that he was african american the church wasn't quite ready for mm. that yet so i think and this was not this was not 19 you know 57 right right <laughs> right. right this was like this was like within the past uh several years. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that exists, I would say maybe step one, if I, I mean, I got to start with one step. I would say that step one is calling out actions like that as just being fundamentally, absolutely wrong and antithetical to the scripture, what scripture teaches God, the spirit, all of it. Is it racist? Yeah, but I don't even feel like you need to put a, a, it's just... It's not, um, those, those situations where a church where because whenever it's a church or it's a leader from the church, there's actually, you're putting God behind it too. So Mm -hmm. I think maybe step one is calling out anything like that. You see for exactly what it is. Yeah. Right. That, that it's racist, it's wrong. Um, and that just, you know, broke my heart when I, I heard that story and, and things like that do happen. I'm not saying that's the only way that racism happens within the church. I think there's a lot of ways that, you know, to, to the extent that leadership in church does not uh, reflect, um, you know, the, the racial background and, and of, of the membership of the church. You know, that's, that's a place where um, changes need to be made. But I think maybe starting with recognizing it and not being afraid to sort of criticize ourselves mm-hmm. where we're coming up short is
0: important. I also think that there is a there's an idea that, like, I'm afraid to, like, disagree with some of the things that I think are happening. Um, Like, for instance, I'm I love LeBron James as a basketball player. 100 percent. I think I personally think he's the GOAT. Personally, think he's a grace of all time, and I know I didn't. I didn't grow up in the Jordan era. Well, I might
1: be, I'm sort of a little um, bit older, a little bit MJ over right, here. I, but we I, don't have
0: to get into that. That's yeah. that's episode three, right? MJ <laughs> versus LeBron, right? But I am. I don't know. There's a part of me that I know he has a platform, and I understand. But like, I sometimes I think he takes it too far. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's like, man, like I I I think I, I see where his heart is. And like, I'm okay with that, but like, there's gotta be a line somewhere to understand that like, I I don't, I don't know. Like I, I, I'm, I'm not upset that he has an opinion. That's not my, that's not my thing. But, but when I, I wish that he had more of an understanding that he may be more careful with how he says things or how he presents himself. Um, And, and, and like it's it's scary to say something like that yeah. because yet again I'm a white male he's an African American male we're talking about the black lives matter movement and I disagree with how he's going about doing some of his things about you know the black lives matter movement and and like it's it's scary to say that I kind of disagree yeah. Well, f- first of all,
1: I would say that you know somebody who 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 is the king. It's you know humility doesn't come very right. often with with being the right, king, right? Absolutely. Um, but I would say this that, um, and this is not necessarily. I mean, I have to look at exactly what you're talking about with LeBron. Um, but I will say this: there are a lot of um, people that would not survive in the NBA uh, for very long at all because they're they're elderly white folk. Um, that are on uh, Facebook and other social media platforms that yeah. I can say I absolutely 100% disagree with much of the stuff that I have seen and I, that they have said about the Black Lives Matter movement. Sure. And, um, and I, would, I wish they similarly, I think, would perhaps pause and, and have more humility and perhaps some more acknowledgment uh, so I think there's there's sort of a lot of that to go around, sure that at, at both ends of the spectrum, I think that you know, starting from this place where I started to, you know, mention at the beginning of the podcast, this acknowledgement of uh, of of humility that we we don't know, we don't necessarily know all the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that when when our injustice uh, meters, are going up. When we see injustice, I think that is a point where as Christians, like if we can just talk more generally. Sure. I mean this certainly involves Black Lives Matter. Sure. But when we see and perceive injustice, I can tell you for me, that is something that fires me up. Yeah. If I see something that's an unjust situation. I can tell you when I saw that George Floyd video for the first time beginning to end in it all of its Sort of full horror that I had that feeling. Of course, you know how it ends, right? But I had that feeling, and and I can only just again imagine or empathize with what it it was like to, you know, watch that as a person of color. In fact, one of the first things I did uh, when I saw that is I called my 73 year old dad. Um, you know who grew up in in the segregated South in right. uh, in Mississippi in the deep south and I said, you know what you need to watch that video. I said it's horrific yeah you need to watch that video. So I think that sometimes um, you know we need to uh, allow ourselves to to see to try to empathize but then to, then to humbly respond, and even perhaps uh, show some restraint, or really calibrate when we feel that injustice, mm-hmm. we have that we have that righteous wind at our backs. But then it's like, what do you do next? And that's right. where I think you have to be really, really careful with what you do next, because. I think we're trying to reflect Jesus (laughs) with whatever it is we we do next,
0: right? And and I think in that idea of reflecting on Jesus, I think that um, the Attorney General Daniel Cameron—did I say it right that time? That's right. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to say Cameron Daniel, and I know that it's Daniel Cameron. The two first name thing really throws me off. Yeah. But Daniel Cameron, when he was talking in when he was giving his his speech, he was talking about justice. Yeah, and how he said, um, well, actually, I think you have the quote. If oh, you yeah, like, if, if you yeah. can just read it, read it.
1: Yeah, I got it. He said, you know, if we simply act on emotion or outrage, there is no justice. Mob justice is not justice. Justice sought by violence is not justice. It just becomes revenge. And that was sort of the end of his uh, sort of explanation of of what the of what the jury had uh, the grand jury had found.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean. That's that's powerful stuff. I mean, I, I th- man, I think he said that so well. Yeah. Because I agree with that one hundred percent. I, I, I am I am not a fan of the death penalty. I, I, as a, as a Christian, I struggle with the idea of the death penalty. Um, and in the reason that I'm saying that is because there were two police officers shot in Louisville last night. Now they are not. I don't think in any way going to die from the wounds that they suffered. Right. But that cannot be the answer. The, the, the answer is, okay, or I'm not, that, that that cannot, that cannot be how we, we decide to, you know, I don't take justice into our own hands. I, I don't think that that's the right way to go about it. And, and well,
1: what you're, I think what you're, you're, you're um, sort of treading onto is the, you know, what I've heard referred to as the myth of redemptive violence, right? Right. Yeah. That, that there's some redemption in the, that acting out the violence or, or like he, like he, like the attorney general said that revenge is somehow going to, uh, to, to make things better, to make us feel better. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember this is not doesn't have to do with the Black Lives Matter movement. It was one of the most powerful things I, I'd ever seen. It was it had to do with the BTK killer, oh, yeah. you know the the by, I think it stands for bind torture kill. He killed uh, just a, a slew of women, like I, I don't know tens, dozens of women, mm-hmm. um, and they caught him. And it's on the video you can, or it's it's on the it's on the interwebs. You can go to YouTube and you can uh, you can see it. But at his sentencing. Mm-hmm. It was so interesting that, you know, there were people coming up at his sentencing, understandably, who, you know, he had murdered their family members, their moms, their their sisters, their daughters. And there were some people who just had so much anger. Like I said, understandably, they had so much anger and just want you know, they just wanted him to, to die. Yeah. You know, it's like the... What is the Samuel L. Jackson line? Uh, Yes, I die. (laughs) Yes, I hope they die. I hope he dies, and I hope he burns in hell. Like just that—that total, um, you know, righteous indignation. But but what was interesting is that he was completely unfazed as these people came up, person after person after person, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: to you know talk about just how horrible he was, until this one man came up. Um, who I believe whose daughter he had killed in the past. And the man said, you know, it didn't come with that same sort of tone and and said that, you know, he that he had forgiven him. Mm-hmm. And the BTK killer just completely loses it. Like, it completely breaks him wide open. Like, yeah. it was the one thing... That actually did something to him. Yeah. I mean, he's sitting here. I mean, this is a you know a, a serial killer, right? Right. Killed all these people, and you have all these people just throwing all this hate, which I think is you know, similar to violence. Yeah. Because they think it's somehow it's going to help to vent this out, and I don't mm-hmm. begrudge them that. I understand that. I can't imagine what it would be like if I was one of those people. But for the one gentleman who came up and did that, it's like that had some power and so i think going back to your point there's violence while it looks like power mm-hmm. it's um it is deceiving right that it's that's actually love and mercy and forgiveness and non-violence it doesn't mean that that justice shouldn't be sought
0: right absolutely
1: but that there's a power in it um that doesn't come from violence there's a there's a part of violence
0: that just continues to build and propagate on itself right I'm gonna quote a good friend I think of both of ours Corey Lamb yeah and he gave a sermon once that he 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 said something and I had never really considered it before but what he had said was we underestimate the value of our own sin when we don't forgive And then he used Ephesians 4.32, which I think that's... Yeah, 4.32, and it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Yeah. And that has stuck with me, I mean, ever since he said it, the idea that um, I mess up a lot and, um, you know, I'm not perfect, and the idea that... I can't be okay with other people being imperfect is an issue that I struggle with, you know, and, and I'm not, and, and, and I, and I'm, I also want to say that in saying that, yes, forgiveness is is like a thing that people need to work on. It's not automatic for almost anybody, definitely not me, but, um, and I'm not, and I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it is something that I think is necessary, especially as, as Christians, yeah. And, um, but, 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 but also in, in saying that it's, it's, it's tough. And like you said, that doesn't mean justice can't be served. That just means that you, you can have that, you can have at least part of that burden, maybe lifted a little bit. And I'm not saying it needs to be done immediately. Right. I'm not saying that that should happen right now, but I'm saying that is something that you should, that, that anyone should really work on yeah. and, 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 And and I, and I, and I honestly believe that that's, that's going to help the future because sometimes I think we get stuck in the moment in a, in a, in these, like in the time that we're in, we get stuck in the present and like, like, kind of, like I said, like, I don't know what to do next. Like, I don't know what the solution is for how to, how to make tomorrow better than today is, but that's because my mind is still stuck right now in, in, in this very moment and not in what's going to make tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next year you know better for everybody
1: yeah if there's one reality <laughs> was something that I struggle with daily you know at the end of the day I almost never go back and say you know what I wish I'd been more impulsive or reacted more quickly and right. and and followed my first instinct it's always the opposite right it's always like Man, I wish I had not sent that email right away. I yeah. wish I had waited to respond to that text. Yeah. There's something about us that we need to pause, sort of like mm. a holy pause and check our our instincts and our emotions. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, but that that doesn't mean that we don't seek justice. I think we're trying to find, you know, what are the best ways to engage and how do I reflect uh, how do I reflect Christ, the spirit of Christ? How do I reflect love? Mm-hmm. You know, because sometimes I think that's kind of amorphous. How do I how do I reflect Christ? Well, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, you read the scripture. You can look. You can try to pattern Jesus. But what about love? We know what love is. Sure. What is the loving way to respond to this? What What is the way to show people love? To demonstrate love in creative ways, maybe in counterintuitive ways. Mm-hmm. How can you show love? Uh, in this
0: situation. And I think one of the, one of the things that, you know, in, in me asking questions, um, to, you know, really anyone, but, but, but African-American people that I'm, that I have, that I'm close with, that I, that I have that comfort in asking questions with, um, one of the things, one of the responses that I've received from them is thank you for asking questions. Thank you for your desire to, you know, be better. And, and I think that that's, that's tough and it was it was awkward it was so like it took a lot from me to just ask questions because it was i don't like i, I don't know i've said i said in in last week's podcast is we all like to be right and you said we all like to assume that we're right and then to ask questions about something means i don't know something yeah and that's a scary thought and it's like well okay i don't i don't know i don't know i don't know and so let's let's try to gain understanding let's let's try to be be better by maybe allowing myself to learn what it's like to be in their shoes.
1: Absolutely. I 100% agree. And I think, you know, I said number one is sort of, uh, and I don't know, these, these aren't in order. I just, we had said before, I said maybe the first step is acknowledging, um, you know, that, that things are going on when we see them, calling them out. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, probably even before that. And, and I've done the same thing, you know, with with close friends and it's not comfortable you know, for, for somebody who's, who's white to, to say, Hey, you know, what, what, what should I, what, what are resources? What, what's, what's important for, for, uh, for you to tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, yeah, as fumbling and bumbling as you are, when you do that, I, I think it's appreciated. Sure. Um, and really, it's just an example of how we should be um, to, to anyone. Like if, if there's somebody at your church, who's who's disabled you know who has a who has a specific need right. i think you know trying to find out what you might be able to do to help them in a given situation mm-hmm. like that should be your wiring and yeah. is that a little awkward because you don't want you know that maybe they're independent you don't want them to think that you know that that you think somehow that they can't do. But so, yeah, you're going to stumble and fumble, I think, through some of those scenarios. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that there can't be a lot gained when you do have those tough conversations. Because, again, I'll go back to what I said. All you're trying to do is to demonstrate love and you're trying to gather information to decide What's the best way to do that in this scenario?
0: I call those situations, I have a boyfriend situations. Um, That's when you open a door for a, as a man, you open a door for a girl and like you kind of wait on her and she goes, no, no, you can close that. I have a boyfriend. You don't need to hit on me. (laughs) And you're like, oh. I'm sorry. I was raised this way, right? I was, this is me just trying to be a good person. And sometimes that's still going to be met with adversity. That means sometimes it's still going to be met with like not the response you thought you were going to have. Right. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it in the future. Right. That doesn't mean that it wasn't right. Right. That, you know, if you're trying to genuinely better yourself, not just for you, but for the people around you. Right. It's really hard to say that you're going to go wrong. Yeah. Um, And I've
1: never had that happen to me. There must be something. It's must be something about the your beard or I don't know. You're just cuter than I am. I think (laughs) that's
0: got to be what it is. Um, (laughs) But but as we as we start to kind of as we start to kind of wrap this up, um, I want to leave with a section of scripture that I think leaves us in a good place. Um, and obviously you can add on or, or, or however you desire, but this is just for me and, and Philippians two. And, and when I, when I consider the idea of the black lives matter movement and and, and I think about prejudice and racism and how it's a problem, it's a real actual problem. I I think of Philippians two and, and how maybe that could be a, that could potentially be a solution. And it's, And I sort of hinted on it a little bit earlier, but Philippians two, uh, starting in verse one says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And here's the kicker, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Uh, if if we can all value the person next to us more than ourselves, Wow. that's it. That that is if that can be an intentional mindset of, of specifically, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna call out the church as a whole. I'm gonna call you guys out because Um, I think, statistically, there are millions of us. If we can do that as the church, I think a lot of these issues are way more minimal than they are now. There are enough of us who claim to love God and love people as the greatest commandment that that in of itself this idea in of itself being able to value others more than ourselves that concept changes the world and i and this is my opinion and you can take it for what it's worth but i think if if that's the mindset then most radi- most racism is eradicated
1: yeah most overt i think you're right overt racism um, gets eradicated. I think that the tougher the tougher things are, like I mentioned earlier, some of these institutional things, even within sure. even within our churches, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I mean we absolutely considering others uh, you know more more highly than than we do ourselves. And I think being open, being open and um, and having eyes uh, for for seeing, uh, inequality, for seeing uh, mistreatment, um, being willing to ask questions, sure, you know, having these sort of like a you know these awkward conversations with people, um, you know, I think we need to do all that too. I think that's I think that's part of it too. I, I really don't think that the churches don't get uh, let off the hook here because again, it, it's just. Uh, the church in, in the earliest church, you know, in the first century, it, it wasn't an institution. It has become institutionalized right um, in lots of different ways. Even it doesn't matter whether it's a community church or non-denominational church or we're talking about major denominations or the Catholic Church. All churches, uh, well, all institutions tend to bend towards self-preservation. Mm-hmm. And that means that if you do, if, if there are uh, inequalities that over time have become baked into those institutions, they are going to tend to perpetuate themselves unless there are changes. So I think we as Christians, we as, as people in the church, we need to be willing to change. Yeah. We need to be willing to change not only, I think, what, what uh, Philippians, it, what, what you're getting at, not only to change our individual behaviors, mm-hmm. we need to be able to be willing to change our churches yeah. No, and amen. what they look like and what we say in them. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, again, we said last week we're in a church. We're saying it right now. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> yeah. There's nobody else in this. Ter- it's just us right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and, and that needs to be fundamental that needs to be, like you were saying, it, it that needs to be something that we're raised with. That gives an opportunity yeah. for you to be able, and I'm sure that you have, to instill that idea in your children. Yeah. And from there, they grow up. That's just how they've... That's, that's their that's their Christian worldview. That's right. And then they have kids. They raise them in the same fashion. That's their Christian worldview. And then, you know, in a generation or two, it's like, oh, wow.
1: I There have been things that I hear my kids say that I say wait hold on what you just said let me tell you how let me tell you how there is there are racist or stereotyped undertones mm-hmm. to what you just said and guess what i grew up saying it yeah and and I was not necessarily aware of it. Maybe sometimes, I, but not in the way that I am. Yeah. And so, absolutely, that's what I'm trying to do. That's not. I mean, I can do more, but I definitely try to do that. And I do think I know that they're being raised in a different way. It doesn't mean that my you know parents totally screwed up. We're just in a different culture in a different time. And I think a lot of this awareness. Um, is is so good it's so positive at least in its direction sure while it might not have have moved as as quickly or as far as it needs to the direction and the of it and the fact that it is happening i think is is positive mm-hmm. are there people who go too far or different or taking a different direction is there violence is there yes yes right. yes there's there's all these things but for those of you i know there's got to be people out there listening that are maybe on this whole, man, this is just it's all, you know, there all all these folks just want to burn everything down. This is these are you know, rioters, looters, there's violence. Please, please, please. I think, you know, we're we're not we're certainly not advocating any kind of violence. We're oh, doing yeah, exactly the opposite. Absolutely not, yeah. But no. don't allow, don't allow sort of the worst version. The the worst version of the worst um Uh, exercise of the frustration that Mm -hmm. people are feeling uh, to take away from the underlying truth, the right. truth is the truth, Yeah. right? Just just like you wouldn't want people to to look at um, the Inquisition as well. All Christian that 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 colors right. all Christianity. I mean, yeah. Christians wouldn't want that. Sure. Um, instead, you want to be judged on mm-hmm. on on sort of the truth of the of the religion at its best, not at its worst.
0: Right. Yeah. No. And, and I mean, I hear that all the time from well, not all cops are like that and you know not all not all white people you know hate you know hate everybody you know like i hear that all the time and yet they're not willing to have that with the you know quote opposition right and and i and i say quote opposition because i think that's how people view it sometimes it's, well, like it's us versus them well it's it's,
1: tri- it's tribalism right yeah. it's tribalism and it it permeates so much um, it permeates church. It permeates. I mean, in its simplest form, you know, you know, I'm I'm a Washington football team fan, and you know, other people are are Cowboys fans, right? Mm-hmm. And so, when I watch a football game, if the if the call is against my team, then I see it in a certain way, right? If if you're a if you're a Dallas fan, you see it in a different way. It yeah. happens at sort of that simple level, but then it happens at. At, at much larger levels
0: within culture because we are we are tribal. Right, absolutely. And, and I and yet again kind of bringing it back to you know us as a as a body of Christ, we need to all be united. I mean, that's Philippians 2 again, being united with Christ through his love, right? And so it, we need to have this sense of we're I mean, I don't I'm in a high school musical for a second. We're all in this together, okay? Yeah. It's it's us. It's not It's it's all of us. It's not us versus them. It's just us. Because guess what? Like we said at the beginning, we're all creating the image of God. We're all image bearers. It's not this like random. Yeah, we we may physically look different. But why? How does that matter to God? Yeah, that it I'll tell you, it doesn't. It, yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Right. No,
1: it it doesn't. We we have no different worth, but God is also, I think, acutely aware of the exact. Um, uh, struggles that each one of us have because of our particular circumstances in life. Yeah. Right. Just like your example earlier, like the the person who's struggling to pay the light bill, you know, who's on, on public assistance, Mm -hmm. God is acutely aware of those struggles. And hopefully like we get to participate to help those people with those needs. And, and, um, I mean that, that's, That's what we hope. That's what we hope and pray that we get used that way, or or we can see those opportunities.
0: Absolutely, we're 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 called to help, not hurt, and um. And we should and we should be doing that. We should be we should be attempting to do that daily. Yeah. And and so, um, as we wrap up, I don't I don't necessarily know that I want to do this every time, but I would like to pray, and and I think that specifically over everybody the the world the 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 nation for for Louisville for Brianna Taylor's family for um, for law enforcement for the attorney general for the president for, for for everybody because we're in a time where we feel so separated and i think that's this is these are moments when we need to be as unified as we can be um, because i think that's 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 a true calling as christians so i'm going to pray just real fast and then uh, we'll get into what we'll talk about next week. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here right now in this moment to, you know, look into your word, to consider, um, father, what your will is. God, we, um, we, we mourn right now for, um, injustice for, um, things that are happening in our world, in our nation that, that, that just shouldn't be God. And, and, and and Father, we ask that that you give us strength and that you give us wisdom and understanding to combat that in a way that is with your will, God. Um, Father, we, we love you with everything that we are, and we hope that in that love we can be unified together so that we can love the person next to us so much that their value is greater than our own. We love you so much, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well hey. said, brother. That was good. Thank you. I tried to dig into my inner Francis Chan during that prayer. I love the way that he speaks. He uses his his big hands. He just stretches yeah, yeah. his fingers out. It's crazy. Anyway, that doesn't really matter. Right. But um, so
1: next week,
0: LeBron next week, or MJ. We, well, we'll get into that. You're going to lose, <laughs> but we'll get into that. Um, actually, next week, I want to look into Christians and politics. Yeah. I know that we're
1: we're out of the <laughs> frying pan into the fire.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And 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 I say that because. I saw a poll on Facebook the other day in a secret minister group that I'm a part of, <laughs> right. and that was created by a Russian bot, probably. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm, bu- I bought in though. It's so okay. It's okay. We're good. And it was, you know, um, as a Christian, like, should you vote? Should you be engaged in politics? Yeah, should yeah. you not vote? And and I was just like the answers that I got. Oh, good stuff. It was amazing. And so I am very intrigued. Um, but also, I am. I loved this conversation. I thought it was fantastic. I loved last week's conversation, but really looking forward to for, to next week, and um, thank you, Brad. Yeah,
1: thanks, um, Roman. That's good stuff, man. I'm excited, too. Uh, politi- what are we going to talk about? we just talk about all the stuff we're not supposed to talk about, man. That's the point. That's Let's what do it. That's
0: what we're going for. Well, um, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Look forward to having you guys with us next week. Have a good one.